story thirteen of a mirror of shalott by robert hugh benson this librivox recording is in the public domain story thirteen mr percival's tale when i came in from mass into the refectory on the morning following father stein's story i found a layman breakfasting there with the father rector we were introduced to one another and i learned that mr percival was a barrister who had arrived from england that morning on a holiday and was to stay at san filippo for a fortnight i yield to none in my respect for the clergy at the same time a layman feels occasionally something of a pariah among them i suppose this is bound to be so so i was pleased then to find another dog of my breed with whom i might consort and even howl if i so desired i was pleased too with his appearance he had that trim academic air that is characteristic of the bar in spite of his twenty-two hours journey and was dressed in an excellently made grey suit he was very slightly bald on his forehead and had those sharp-cut mask-like features that mark a man as either lawyer priest or actor he had besides delightful manners and even white teeth i do not think i could have suggested any improvements in person behaviour or costume by the time that my coffee had arrived the father rector had run dry of conversation and i could see that he was relieved when i joined in in a few minutes i was telling mr percival about the symposium we had formed for the relating of preternatural adventures and i presently asked him whether he had ever had any experience of the kind he shook his head i have not he said in his virile voice my business takes my time i wish you had been with us earlier put in the rector i think you would have been interested oh, i'm sure of it he said i remember once but you know father frankly i am something of a skeptic you remember i suggested he smiled very pleasantly with eyes and mouth yes mr benson i was once next door to such a story a friend of mine saw something but i was not with him at the moment well we thought we had finished last night i said but do you think you would be too tired to entertain us this evening well i shall be delighted to tell the story he said easily but indeed i am a skeptic in this matter i cannot dress it up we want the naked fact i said i went sightseeing with him that day and found him extremely intelligent and at the same time accurate the two virtues do not run often together and i felt confident that whatever he chose to tell us would be salient and true i felt too that he would need few questions to draw him out he would say what there was to be said unaided when we had taken our places that night he began by again apologizing for his attitude of mind i do not know reverend fathers he said what are your own theories in this matter but it appears to me that if what seems to be preternatural can possibly be brought within the range of the natural one is bound scientifically to treat it in that way now in this story of mine for i will give you a few words of explanation first in order to prejudice your minds as much as possible in this story the whole matter might be accounted for by the imagination my friend who saw what he saw was under rather theatrical circumstances and he is an irishman besides that he knew the history of the place in which he was and he was quite alone on the other hand he has never had an experience of the kind before or since he is perfectly truthful and he saw what he saw in moderate daylight 
i give you these facts first and i think you would be perfectly justified in thinking they account for everything as for my own theory which is not quite that i have no idea whether you will agree or disagree with it i do not say that my judgment is the only sensible one or anything offensive like that i merely state what i feel i am bound to accept for the present there was a murmur of assent then he crossed his legs leaned back and began in my first summer after i was called to the bar i went down south wales for a holiday with another man who had been with me at oxford his name was murphy he is a j p now in ireland i think i cannot think why we went to south wales but there it is we did we took the train to cardiff sent on our luggage up the taff valley to an inn of which i cannot remember the name but it was close to where lord bute has a vineyard then we walked on to clandaff saw st tylo's tomb and went on again to this village next morning we thought we would look about us before going on and we went out for a stroll it was one of the most glorious mornings i ever remember quite cloudless and very hot and we went up through the woods to get a breeze at the top of the hill we found that the whole place was full of iron mines disused now as the iron is richer further up the country but i can tell you that they enormously improved the interest of the place we found shaft after shaft some protected and some not but mostly overgrown with bushes so we had to walk carefully we had passed half a dozen i should think before the thought of going down one of them occurred to murphy well we got down one at last though i rather wished for a rope once or twice and i think it was one of the most extraordinary sights i have ever seen you know perhaps what the cave of a demon king is like in the first act of a pantomime well it was like that there was a kind of a blue light that poured down the shafts refracted from surface to surface so that the sky was invisible on all sides passages ran into total darkness huge reddish rocks stood out fantastically everywhere in the pale light there was a sound of water falling into a pool from a great height and presently striking matches as we went we came upon a couple of lakes of marvellously clear blue water through which we could see the heads of ladders emerging from other black holes of unknown depth below we found our way out after a while into what appeared to be the central hall of the mine here we saw plain daylight again for there was an immense round opening at the top from the edges of which curved away the sides of the shaft forming a huge circular chamber imagine the albert hall roofless or better still imagine st peter's with the top half of the dome removed of course it was far smaller but it gave an impression of great size and it could not have been less than two hundred feet from the edge over which we saw the trees against the sky to the tumbled dusty rocky floor where we stood i can only describe it as being like a great burnt-out hell in the inferno red dust lay everywhere escape seemed impossible and vast crags and galleries with the mouths of passages showing high up marked by iron bars and chains jutted out here and there we amused ourselves here for some time by climbing up the sides calling to one another for the whole place was full of echoes rolling down stones from some of the upper ledges but i nearly ended my days there 
i was standing on a path about seventy feet up leaning against the wall it was a path along which feet must have gone a thousand times when the mine was in working order and i was watching murphy who was just emerging onto a platform opposite me on the other side of the gulf i put my hand behind me to steady myself and the next instant very nearly fell forward over the edge at the violent shock to my nerves given by a wood pigeon who burst out of a hole brushing my hand as he passed i gripped on however and watched the bird soar out across the space and then up and out at the opening and then i became aware that my knees were beginning to shake so i stumbled along and threw myself down on the little platform onto which the passage led i suppose i had been more startled than i knew for i tripped as i went forward and knocked my knee rather sharply on a stone i felt for an instant quite sick with the pain on the top of jangling nerves and lay there saying what i am afraid i ought not to have said then murphy came up when i called and we made our way together through one of the sloping shafts and came out on to the hillside among the trees mr percival paused his lips twitched a moment with amusement i am afraid i must recall my promise he said i told you all this because i was anxious to give a reason for the feeling i had about the mine and which i am bound to mention i felt i never wanted to see the place again yet in spite of what followed i do not necessarily attribute my feelings to anything but the shock and the pain that i had had you understand that his bright eyes ran round our faces yes yes said monsignor sharply go on please mr percival well then the lawyer uncrossed his legs and replaced them the other way during lunch we told the landlady where we had been and she begged us not to go there again i told her that she might rest easy my knee was beginning to swell it was a wretched beginning to a walking tour it was not that she said but there had been a bad accident there four men had been killed there twenty years before by a fall of rock that had been the last straw on the top of ill success and the mine had been abandoned we inquired as to details and it seemed that the accident had taken place in the central chamber locally called the cathedral and after a few questions i understood that was where you were my friend i said to murphy and it was where you were when the bird flew out he agreed with me and presently when the woman was gone announced that he was going to the mine again to see the place well i had no business to keep him dangling about i couldn't walk anywhere myself so i advised him not to go on to that platform again and presently he took a couple of candles from the sticks and went off he promised to be back by four o'clock and i settled down rather drearily to a pipe and some old magazines naturally i fell sound asleep it was a hot drowsy afternoon and the magazines were dull i woke once or twice and then slept again deeply i was awakened by the woman coming in to ask whether i would have tea it was already five o'clock i told her yes i was not in the least anxious about murphy he was a good climber and therefore neither a coward nor a fool as tea came in i looked out of the window again and saw him walking up to the path covered with iron dust and a moment later i heard his step in the passage and he came in mrs what's-her-name had gone out have you had a good time i asked 
he looked at me very oddly and paused before he answered oh yes he said and put his cap and stick in a corner i knew murphy well why not i asked him beginning to pour out tea he looked round at the door then he sat down without noticing the cup i pushed across to him my dear fellow he said i think i am going mad well i forget what i said but i understood that he was very much upset about something and i suppose i said the proper kind of thing about his not being a qualified fool and then he told me his story mr percival looked round at us again still with that slight twitching of the lips that seemed to signify amusement please remember he began and then broke off no no i won't well he had gone down the same shaft that we went down in the morning and had spent a couple of hours exploring the passages he had found an engine-room with tanks and rotten beams in it and rusty chains he had found some more lakes too full of that extraordinary electric blue water he had disturbed a quantity of bats somewhere else then he had come out again into the central hall and on looking at his watch had found it after four o'clock so he thought he would climb up by the way we had come in the morning and go straight home it was as he climbed that his odd sensations began as he went up clinging with his hands he became perfectly certain that he was being watched he couldn't turn around very well but he looked up as he went to the opening overhead but there was nothing there but the dead blue sky and the trees very green against it and the red rocks curving away on every side it was extraordinarily quiet he said the pigeons had not come home from feeding and he was out of hearing of the dripping water that i told you of then he reached the platform and the opening of the path where i had had my fright in the morning and turned round to look at first he saw nothing peculiar the rocks up which he had come fell away at his feet down to the floor of the cathedral and to the nettles with which he had stung his hands a minute or two before he looked around at the galleries overhead and opposite but there was nothing there then he looked across at the platform where he had been in the morning and where the accident had taken place let me tell you what this was like it was about twenty yards in breadth and ten deep but lay irregular and filled with tumbled rocks it was a little below the level of his eyes right across the gulf and in a straight line would be about fifty or sixty yards away it lay under the roof rather retired so that no light from the sky fell directly on to it it would have been in complete twilight if it hadn't been for a shaft smaller above it which shot down a funnel of bluish light exactly like a stage effect you see reverend fathers it was very theatrical altogether that might account no doubt mr percival broke off again smiling i'm always forgetting he said well we must go back to murphy at first he saw nothing but the rocks and the thick red dust and the broken wall behind it he was very honest and told me that as he looked at it he remembered distinctly what the landlady had told us at lunch it was on that little stage that the tragedy had happened then he became aware that something was moving among the rocks and he became perfectly certain that people were looking at him but it was too dusky to see very clearly at first whatever it was was in the shadows at the back he fixed his eyes on what was moving then this happened 
the lawyer stopped again i will tell you the rest he said in his own words so far as i can remember them i was looking at this moving thing he said which seemed exactly of the red colour of the rocks when it suddenly came out under the funnel of light and i saw it was a man he was in a rough suit all iron stained with a rusty cap and he had some kind of a pick in his hand he stopped first in the centre of the light with his back turned to me and stood there looking i cannot say that i was consciously frightened i honestly do not know what i thought he was i think that my whole mind was taken up in watching him then he turned round slowly and i saw his face then i became aware that if he looked at me i should go into hysterics or something of the sort and i crouched down as low as i could but he didn't look at me he was attending to something else and i could see his face quite clearly he had a beard and moustache rather ragged and rusty he was rather pale but not particularly i judged him to be about thirty-five of course went on the lawyer murphy didn't tell it me quite as i am telling it to you he stopped a good deal he drank a sip of tea once or twice and changed his feet about well he had seen this man's face very clearly and described it very clearly it was the expression that struck him most it was a rather amused expression he said rather pathetic and rather tender and he was looking interestedly about at everything at the rocks above and beneath he carried his pick easily in the crook of his arm he looked exactly like a man whom i once saw visiting his home where he had lived as a child murphy was very particular about that though i don't believe he was right he was smiling a little in his beard and his eyes were half shut it was so pathetic that i nearly went into hysterics then and there said murphy i wanted to stand up and explain that it was all right but i knew he knew more than i did i watched him i should think for nearly five minutes he went to and fro softly in the thick dust looking here and there sometimes in the shadow and sometimes out of it i could not have moved for ten thousand pounds and i could not take my eyes off him then just before the end i did look away from him i wanted to know if it was all real and i looked at the rocks behind and the openings then i saw that there were other people there at least there were things moving of the colour of the rocks i suppose i made some sound then i was horribly frightened at any rate the man in the middle turned right round and faced me and at that i sank down with the sweat dripping from me flat on my face with my hands over my eyes i thought of a hundred thousand things of the inn and you and the walk we had had and i prayed well i suppose i prayed i wanted god to take me right out of this place i wanted the rocks to open and let me through mr percival stopped his voice shook with a tiny tremor he cleared his throat well reverend fathers murphy got up at last and looked about him and of course there was nothing there but just the rocks and the dust and the sky overhead then he came away home the shortest way it was a very abrupt ending and a little sigh ran around the circle monsignor struck a match noisily and kindled his pipe again well, thank you very much sir he said briskly mr percival cleared his throat again but before he could speak father brent broke in 
now that is just an instance of what i was saying monsignor the night we began may i ask if you really believe that those were the souls of the miners where's the justice of it what's the point monsignor glanced at the lawyer have you any theory sir he asked mr percival answered without lifting his eyes i think so he said shortly but i don't feel in the least dogmatic father brent looked at him almost indignantly i should like to hear it he said if you can square that i do not square it said the lawyer personally i do not believe they were spirits at all oh no i do not though i do not wish to be dogmatic to my mind it seems far more likely that this is an instant of mr hudson's theory the american you know his idea is that all apparitions are no more than the result of violent emotions experienced during life that about the pathetic expression is all nonsense i believe i don't understand said father brent well these men killed by the fall of the roof probably went through a violent emotion this would be heightened in some degree by their loneliness and isolation from the world this kind of emotion mr hudson suggests has a power of saturating material surroundings and which under certain circumstances would once more like a phonograph give off an image of the agent in this instance too the absence of other human visitors would give this materialized emotion a chance so to speak of surviving there would be very few cross-currents to confuse it and finally murphy was alone his receptive faculties would be stimulated by that fact and all that he saw in my belief was the psychical wave left by these men in dying oh did you tell him so i did not murphy is a violent man i looked up at monsignor and saw him nodding emphatically to himself End of story thirteen